Lord Jesus, as we come now to listen to your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you lead us into truth. You don't lead us into error. You lead us into truth in order to set us free so that we can come into all of the fullness of your life for us that you've provided for us. And we thank you now as we listen to your word that you will seed it and deposit it in our hearts. That it will bring a harvest for you that glorifies you and none other, Jesus. Because, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We are your people, purchased by your blood. Our lives are not our own. Lord, we thank you that you are for us. You're not against us. You never leave us or forsake us. And therefore, because of that, we can do what you've commissioned us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a shout this morning. You may be seated. Fantastic. Well, we're going to get right into the word this morning. And um, do you know, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been talking and, and thinking about Jesus when he preached his first sermon in Luke chapter 4. What an incredible sermon it was. Very short sermon. It was shorter than the sermon I'm going to bring to you this morning. Okay? It was done in a few minutes. But it had an amazing effect on the people that, that were listening to it. But you know, one of the things that I find when I read the Gospels, and, I, and I've said this to you, and I'm always amazed when I see it, is that when Jesus met people, when Jesus walked down the streets of his time, when he went into the highways and the byways of life, he never ever saw people as an inconvenience. He never ever saw people that he met as an interruption to his time. Jesus always saw people and their needs as an invitation to him. Sometimes the needs that people had and the needs that Jesus saw when he met people were distressing needs. Many people of, of Jesus' day walked past those needs. Many people of Jesus' time ignored those needs. Why? Well, possibly because they required too much investment. Possibly they required too much care. Possibly they required that people change their plans and change their agendas and it would cost too much. But Jesus wasn't ever like that. Jesus walked down the highways and the byways of his time. He walked through the streets and as he saw precious people suffering, as he saw people overcome with needs, he got involved. He couldn't ignore it. He couldn't walk past a person that was sick and just walk on his merry way. He couldn't walk past a demonized person without casting the thing out. He couldn't walk past a needy person without bringing help and resolve and purpose and life and blessing. Jesus is an incredible person to look at. Jesus is an incredible example to follow. Jesus is an incredible person to aspire to be like. The wonderful thing is the Bible tells us that we are being conformed to his image. 
We are being conformed to the greatest person that has ever lived. We are being conformed to the greatest person that split time, that changed history forever, that changed eternity and the destiny of the whole world. We are being conformed to his very image. And by the time the Holy Ghost finishes with all of us, we're going to look just like Jesus. Oh, what a vision. What a goal for your life. I tell you, I've got no other vision than than to be like Jesus. I've got no other goal. I've got no other aspiration. I do not look back in history and think, oh, I wish I could be like that great man. I wish I could be like that great leader. If only I could be like, like that person or this person. No, there is only one goal for my life like there is for your life. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be Jesus possessed. Jesus possessed. And the great thing is, the Bible offers that to me like it offers it to you. It really does. But Jesus, this incredible man, come with one purpose to seek and save that which was lost. Come with one person not to speak to the healthy, but but to get to the sick and the needy. Incredible. And sometimes you and I, I certainly feel like this. I feel so limited. I feel so far away from being like Jesus was. He walked in that spirit anointing so, so freely, so gloriously, and so easily. He walked in it. He dispensed it every moment. But I tell you now, we're on a journey. and We may not be there yet. And we may have failed and we may have fallen down. And, we, and our walk might be a little bit broken. But I tell you now, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by our ability. It's not by our disciplines. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And we are living in times where the Holy Spirit is going to energize each one of us. We are living in times where we're going to be out there in the highways and the byways of life in daily routine living. And suddenly the supernatural power of God is going to come up out of you like a river. Rivers of living water are going to flow from your innermost being. From the youngest to the oldest, it's going to flow and it's going to heal a needy, hurting world. Luke chapter 4. Jesus is in the temple. And he's speaking to people that had very hard hearts. And he gets up and the book of the prophet Isaiah is handed to him. And he turns to the place because he knew the scriptures. He was the scriptures. Standing in their midst. And he turned. And he read these words to them. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, To proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now when you read the scriptures in the context and in the environment that Jesus was in, you would have thought that he would have got an applause. You would have thought that he would have got a few amens. You would have thought that, you know, the older men would have come around him and, and, you know, Jesus was still a young man. He was just 30. 
and they would have put their arms around him or they put their arms around him all right but you would have thought they'd they'd have put their arms around him tapped him on the back and said hey Jesus you knew out of the stalls you're a young rookie preacher you're going to do well son you're going to do well but Jesus no he took it one step further and he removed those words out of time and out of history and he said today in your midst this is fulfilled this scripture is fulfilled and I'm the man that's going to fulfill it what was Jesus doing he was opening his diary and he was showing them all of the people groups that he was going for he was telling them I'm going to be more out of this place than in it and these are the people that I'm going to all the people that you've ignored all the people that you have seen as an interruption, all the people that you will not allow to come into your midst, I am going for, I am burning for, I am aching for, I'm going for them. And suddenly, they changed their tune because when they first started to hear him, they said, wow, this is Joseph's son. What wisdom he has. What graceful words fall from his lips. But by the end of the sermon... By the end of the sermon, they picked him up, they grabbed him, and they tried to hurl him over a cliff. Albert Einstein was a very clever man. Very clever man. He said this. He said, adversity introduces a man to himself. This was a very adverse day for Jesus. This was a huge, a huge conflict On his first day out, on one of his first days out, do you know, the enemy comes when something is beginning, when something is starting, when something, when God is is going to initiate something, very often the enemy comes to kill it. The enemy comes to tread on it. The enemy comes to oppose it. But I tell you something now, Jesus, knowing who he was, walked through the midst of them. They couldn't touch him. Why? Because his time hadn't yet arrived. And he walked through them all. He walked through them all. I was thinking as I was reading this again this week of the words of a man of God who once said, a great man of God actually, he said this, the greatest tragedy in any generation is to find a dying, uh, sorry, the greatest tragedy in any generation is to find a sick church in a dying world. A sick church in a dying world. A church that is self-obsessed. A church that is self-absorbed. A church that doesn't hear or see the, the dying needs of the world around her. A church that, that closes her eyes and closes her ears and closes her heart to the needy invites that are out there. That's a sick church. But a healthy church, we could say, is not a perfect church. A healthy church is a church that is growing, that is maturing. A healthy church still has challenges. A healthy church still has things that she has to address. But her eyes are not just on herself all the time. Her ears are not just wanting to hear things about her. Her eyes are beyond her own walls. Her eyes are beyond her own life, beyond her own needs. Her ears are hearing the cries and and the, the distressing invites of a dying world. That's a healthy church. 
Jesus stood up in a very sick church. It was sick because what Jesus read out that morning was repulsive to them. It really was. But Jesus said to them very clearly and very definitely what he was going to give his life for. He said, I am going to go to the poor. And we said the poor were, 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 were this category of people, those that had a wrong idea of God. It's, Jesus wasn't just talking about poor people that didn't have any money. Jesus was talking about a people that had an idea of God that, that was so wrong, that was so outside of God's loving character. Because these people lived in a time where they had been in 400 years of darkness. From Malachi to John the Baptist, there had been 400 years of darkness. It was called the intertestamental period. Oh, oh. where did that come from? The intertestamental period, darkness and blackness, Malachi had ended with, with the word curse. There was a curse over the nation. And then Jesus comes on the scene. People were under such poverty in their thinking about God. God hates me. God doesn't want me. God has left us. God doesn't want anything to do with us. Look at my life. He wouldn't be interested in me. And Jesus steps forward and he said, I've come to preach good news to the poor. I have come to, to correct erroneous ideas about God. People have a picture about God that is completely wrong. I am full of grace. I am full of truth. I'm walking down the street and I'm going to dispense it. And John the Apostle said this, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. They beheld a glory that could change water into wine. They beheld a glory that could lift a cripple. They beheld the glory of God that could raise a dead person. They beheld the glory of God. What was Jesus doing on every front? He was breaking through the darkness. He was correcting people's poor idea of who God was. And I tell you something now, we have good news in our hearts for people. We have good news about Jesus. We have good news about our King and our Lord. There is not a life that he will not take on and get involved in. There is not an addiction that he cannot break. There is not a bondage that he cannot smash. There is not a sickness that he cannot heal. We are taking good news to this city, to this land, to this nation. And as that good news comes from our hearts, we will correct people's picture. You don't have to correct people's picture by trying to, you know, preach to them a, a, a message of doom and gloom. No, just the good news will break it all apart. God's lavish blessing on their life experientially, not theologically. But experientially, I tell you something now, when you've been paralyzed for all your life since you were born and suddenly, physically and experientially, the power of God kicks into your body and you get off your bed, you know that God is good. Oh yeah, you do. You do. And before you take it out, you're going to get it in your house. The blessing of God is going to visit you in your room. The blessing of God is going to unpack itself on you in ways that you couldn't even imagine. And because you'll experience it, it won't be a cold message. Well, you know, 
Would you like to come to church? Would you like? It won't be cold. There'll be an energy and a power and a life. It's called the Zoe life of God. In you. In you. It's awesome. And then it says, you know, he, he, he did that with the poor. Man, did he change the picture of God in their midst? Raising the dead, casting out devils, calming storms, walking on water, men breaking through roofs, going out the door free. Did he change their picture, their poor idea of God? It was massive. Then he said, I'm going for the broken hearts. I am going for the broken hearts. Those that are completely broken. Those that are completely bound by life. There's no way through. They're in a corner. They've been left. Out and about. Under life. And it literally means to be crushed under a heavy heel. Crushed under a heavy weight. Oh, there's people all around us, friends. My God, we're in a sea of it. We're in a sea of it. There's people all around us in this city. They are crushed under a heavy weight. Crushed under a heavy heel. But Jesus said, I am going for the broken hearts and I am going to liberate them. I'm going to set them free. And, and, and this, is, this is what it means. I am going to free them. I am going to empower them so they never, ever come under that heel again. That's the kind of king we serve. That's the kind of power that's going to unpack itself out of your hands. You wait till your hand is like an electrical conduit and the power of God is coming out of it. You wait till your mouth and words start coming out of your mouth that have huge effect on the hearts of people. You'll ask, my God, it's little old me. How can this be? I'll tell you how it can be because you are a temple of the Holy Ghost. That's why. That's why. And then he said, I'm going to preach deliverance to the captives. And this is where we are this week. I am going to preach deliverance to the captives. And the literal picture of that is of people held by the point of a spear. The spear is at their throat, not Mike's spear. The spear. The spear's on the guitar, he's on the bass this morning. But Jesus said, I am going to liberate and preach deliverance to those that are held by the point of the spear. Do you know, you and I alike, we've seen people, we've seen that spear holding people captive holding people back, stopping them progressing in life, stopping them going forward in their future, stopping them having a great family, stopping them getting a a great job. What's the issue? What's the problem? What's What's the source of it? They're held by spear point. Our modern translation or equivalent would be to be held at gunpoint, point blank range. Have you ever seen a person held up by a gun? I have. I saw a man one day going up to another man, a, a big, actual, a, a big strong man. And there was, there was a poor, weak man, a beggar. 
And he went up to this big man that, that looked very affluent, that pulled up in his nice big flashy car. And this poor man went up to him and he asked for a penny. That's all he asked for. And the man turned round and he pulled his gun out and pointed it to him. And he said, you get away from me or I will blow your head off. Do you know, when you see that in a film, right? It's dramatized. And, you know, they put all the fluff on it, but there's no reality in it. When you see that actually physically happening, what it does to a victim is unbelievable. That gun was pointed at that man. He was asking for a penny. That's all he was asking for. The moment that man held the gun to him, he fell on the floor and was completely unable to move, unable to do anything, and a strange noise came out of him. His life was gone. His life was over. And I remember thinking, my God. The man put his gun in and he walked into the shop. I thought, my God. There are people that live like that. They're held by the point of a spear. They can't move. They can't, they've got life. Or they haven't got life. They've got existence. That's all they've got. Jesus said, I've come for them. I'm going to get them. I'm going to liberate them. They're not going to be held for the rest of their lives or, or for, the, for, for the rest of their future by that, that evil spear point, whether it be drugs, whether it be broken relationship, whether it be guilt and fear. Jesus didn't walk down the highways and the byways of his time looking at those held captive by spear point and start criticizing them. And say, oh, well, why haven't you got your act together? If you got your act together, then this would, it, it wouldn't have been like this. Jesus didn't care if they act, had their act together or not. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release them and I'm going to deliver them and I'm going to set them free so that they are no longer under that threat. And we, in the days to come, mark my words, we're going to see the poor come in here and they're going to have their minds blasted by a new understanding of who Jesus is. They're going to, we're going to see the brokenhearted come in here and we're going to hear all kinds of testimony and story of how Jesus has healed them and liberated them and saved them. And also we're going to hear those that have been held by spear point, whether it be by fear, drugs, alcohol, name it all. Put, put whatever you want there. Jesus is going to deliver them and set them free. Come on, if you believe it, let's give him praise this morning. He's awesome. And there's only going to be one name on their lips, my friends, and it ain't going to be no fancy, happy, clappy preacher. It's going to be the name of Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Woo-hoo. It's going to be Jesus. It really is. It really is. I got to check my time, man. Do you know, a swamp is a pool of water that has a fresh water inlet, but no outlet. The Dead Sea has a fresh water inlet, but no outlet. A swamp is stagnant water even poisonous water. It can't promote life or health. It just has an inlet, but no outlet. Jesus is, you know, preaching to these people that he's with, these hard-hearted people. 
A month before, the father had said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Isaiah had said, he's going to be wonderful, counselor, prince of peace, mighty God in your midst. God knew who his son was. The people didn't know who his son was. They dwarfed, dwarfed him and miniaturized him down. Isn't this Joseph's son? What a deriding insult. Joseph's son, this is the king of kings. But you see, Jesus came hidden in the foolish vocation of a carpenter. Jesus came hidden in the foolish location of a Nazareth. But the king was in their midst and they didn't know it. Joseph's son. And they hated him for it and he could do no mighty work among them because of their hard hearts and unbelief. And it's interesting that Jesus never went ever back to that synagogue. You see... As a people in Nazareth, they had an inlet. They knew the scriptures. They handed the scriptures to him. They had an inlet of God's, God's word. They knew the promises. Oh, they, they, they were full of the promises. They knew about the coming Messiah. They knew about his mission. They'd heard words and, and detailed descriptions of what God wanted to do. Rebuild and restore and repair and bring a wonderful blessing to, to their lives. They knew all of this. They had an inlet but no outlet. And therefore, they were swamped in religion. That synagogue should have been teeming with the poor if they'd have believed God's word. That, that, that synagogue should have been teeming with the brokenhearted, with the bruised, with the bound, with the prisoner. But they had no understanding and they didn't mix what they heard with faith. Therefore, they lived in a swamp. It was like a dead sea. Jesus wanted to do something amongst them. He really did. But they wouldn't let, allow him. They really wouldn't. Do you know James put it like this to people once when he was writing to them? He said, faith without works is dead. What is he saying? You can have an inlet of promise. You can have an inlet of the spirit. You can have an inlet into your life where God is unpacking things to you, telling you things about what he wants you to do. And because there's no outlet, there's no outlet of work in relation to the faith that you've received from him, it's dead. It's dead. Isn't it great? Among us, we have a tremendous inlet of blessing. A tremendous inlet of God's word, of, of, of tangible blessing that happens on a weekly basis. But also we have a huge outlet for that blessing to flow. We really do. We, we've, uh, next week we are receiving our first shipment of cornflakes. 52 pallets of cornflakes. Um, I think it's between 30 and 40,000 pounds worth of cornflakes. And we are involved as a church... As a church, with an initiative, with Kellogg's and his church, to deliver 32 million breakfasts for the next year over South Wales and over the UK. I'd say that's a great inlet. That's a great inlet of blessing. But I tell you something now. We have never, ever held what we have in Jesus Cares to ourselves. The, the, the whole initiative, the whole drive, when Dave Bowen was there, now when, when Alex is there, when the team is there, is to empty the place as soon as we fill it. And when we do that, when we say, Lord, we're not just content to have an inlet, we're not, we're not just content to receive your blessing, but we're going to get this outletted. We're working with over 290 agencies over South Wales. 
What a wonderful outlet. Hallelujah. It's God's supernatural power to bless us. It's working for us. It's working with us. And that's just the start. Believe me, like Jesus cares, there's going to be so many other areas that flourish in this house. Because God is raising up servants at this time and leaders. That's what he's doing. And you watch the supernatural power that you will have access to that God will give you. I mean, do you think that me and Faye would ever have thought that we would be leading Jesus Cares? I haven't got a clue about food. But God chooses foolish things to confound the wise. He really does. And you see, when the supernatural power of God comes on you and visits you, you can do anything that he tells you to do. Not because you're anything. You're just a foolish thing. But when he picks that up and he takes it to himself... The output, the output of it all is far, far more than your input. Believe me, our input is is minute. It's like a little crumb of the boy's lunch, a little tail of the fish. That's our input, but the output far exceeds. And that's when you know it's supernatural. We've got a wonderful outlet across this land. And that's not, that's because of us as his people. It really is. That's because of us collectively. It's not because of one person or two persons. It's because of us as a congregation. Serving the king. And ultimately we point to him anyway. He's given us all the crown of Jesus cares. But there'll be one day where we pick it off our heads and say, It's yours, Jesus. You did it, Jesus. Belongs to you. I tell you now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the guts to touch that. I wouldn't have the guts ever to say that those kind of things belong to us. They're his, they're holy. Awesome. No, there's no swamp happening here. We've got a great inlet. But also in so many ways, we've got a great outlet too. This morning... This morning, the Holy Spirit is talking to us and saying to us, this invites all around you. This invites all around. It's so exciting. This invites your world, your world. You're not, you're not of it, but you're in it. You, you, you're in the world, but not of it. Okay? Now, your world is calling to you. It's calling to you, inviting you. Your friends are inviting you through a glance across the office, through, through bearing their heart and their soul to you. They're inviting you. They're calling you. You know, my brother said to me just this week, think about the invites. He said, somebody came up to me and just asked me to pray for them. Well, I was willing to do that. That's an invite into somebody's life. He laid his hand on the, on, on the person and suddenly the word of knowledge started to operate. You see, when you don't see people as an inconvenience or, or as an interruption to your time, but you see their need calling you, inviting you, wanting you to give time and investment into them, the supernatural start to happen so that you can get to the source of the problem. The word of knowledge started to flow and he started to see cancers and tumors riddled throughout this man's body. He prayed for him. He rebuked those cancers. He rebuked those tumors in Jesus' name. 
That supernatural power, he didn't even know what was going on in the man's body. And then the man, startled, amazed, he said, I mean, he reiterated to my brother everything that he'd said. He, was, he, he, he had cancer and he, he, he's got tumors. Now we're believing for a good report to come forward from that. Then Katie, we heard Katie and, and the team there in London, a man crying or somebody needing help. What is that? It's an invitation. You're going to see them. God's going to awaken them. I'm going to see them. God's going to awaken me to the, to the needs around me. And suddenly you're going to find a new desire, Holy Spirit desire to move on in there and help. Not to, look, you may get them one step nearer to Jesus. They may be 99 away. That's fine. Don't worry about that. Don't, don't feel condemned and burdened. Oh, I've got to do this. I've got to go and win somebody to Christ. Don't know. Just allow him to lead you. Walk with him down life. Charlie's on his way to work. Charlie's our buildings manager. He's on his way to work this week. And he sees a homeless man living under a bridge. Now, Charlie could have looked out of his window and, and thought, oh. And drove straight on. Drove straight on by, seeing it as an inconvenience. Seeing it as an interruption. Oh, I can't get involved in that. It's too much investment. It's too much time. Instead of that, Charlie comes into the office on a mission. He's seen a distressing invitation, a man in Newport living under a bridge. He comes, he comes to me, I said, I've got to get a sleeping bag. I've got to get food from Jesus Cares. I need to take it to that man. Come on. I tell you now, when God opens our eyes, you'll see invitations all over your life. You really will. But they're going to they're gonna come more and more increased. And listen, listen now. When you see those invitations, don't worry. There will be more than enough anointing to deal with them. More than enough anointing. More than enough of Holy Ghost power to heal that sick person. Step out. I know it's scary. Step out. I remember working in, uh, it was in Tredega, up the valleys. And um, I, was walking, I was walking down the factory floor one day and I uh, saw a guy that, that I was working with, a young man. And the Holy Spirit t- just said to me, he said, he, said, um, he said, he's having serious nightmares. Serious nightmares. Every night. He said, just speak to him about them. Pray for him and bring peace and order. Set him free. Right there on the shop floor. I said, hey, Russell, I said, mate, I said, do you know those nightmares you've been having? Da-doing, nightmares. My God, are you into witchcraft? Have you been using a a Ouija board or a crystal ball? No, I got the Holy Ghost living inside me. I got the, and you have too. Do you know those nightmares you've been, you've been having, Russell, every night now for years? Today, they're going to stop. Today, Jesus is going to set you free, deliver you, and you're no longer going to have any nightmares after I've prayed for you. I tell you now, we just prayed, Lord Jesus, would you take it away? Amen. One of those prayers. He never had nightmares again. Why? Because Jesus touched him. I remember on one occasion, you see, this is what can happen when the Holy Ghost starts to get moving in your life. In, in Ebervale, they opened up a, a, a shop 
that was, that, was, that was devoted to witchcraft and sorcery and all kinds of evil things. And the churches got together in Ebervale and they said, this is terrible. And it was almost like they wanted to march down the streets with placards and protest. And it, it was, and the weeks were coming down nearer for when this shop was going to open until the night before it was going to open. I just went up in my car and I said, Lord, I'm fed up of all this. I looked at the shop. He said, well, go out and do something about it then. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, well, I cursed a fig tree. Why don't you curse the shop? So I went out, just put my hand on it. Now, this is the eve. This is the night before it's going to open. I put my hand on it and I said, I curse your work in Jesus' name. The shop never opened, friends. The shop never opens. Because when God puts a curse on it, no man can reverse it. We're talking about spiritual things here. And you, look, don't look at me and think I'm, I'm anything. I've, believe me. We're all in this together. You have the same Holy Ghost that lives in you that I, that I do. Anyway, I better shut up now. One last thing. I've got to unpack this to you, right? Because, listen now, the Bible is talking about you and me. It's not talking about some fancy, flipping, prima donna preacher. Let me tell you, it's talking about you and me. John in his epistle said this, talking about you and me, there is an anointing that abides within you whereby you have no need that any man teach you concerning anything for the anointing will teach you concerning all things. Next week, that anointing is going to teach you about life. That anointing, that same anointing, that spirit anointing that Jesus carried, that was upon Jesus because he knew his purpose, it was out there. That same anointing abides within you. Ask the anointing questions. Ask the anointing what to do. Ask the anointing how to respond. It will teach you concerning everything whereby you have no need that any man teach you. You don't need a man to teach you. You don't need to ring somebody on the phone and say, what do I do in this situation? How do I witness? How do I pray? You got the anointed one living on the inside of you. Woohoo! And I tell you now, oh my God, I could tell you some stories. I could tell you some stories when that anointing starts to kick in. What it will do. And how it will break down and set free the captive. Let's stand in his presence. You may be here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. Ah, this is the greatest day of your life. Right now. This is the greatest moment. It wasn't when you were born. That was a good moment. That was a great moment. Because God, God's dream came true when he saw you come into this world. He knows everything about you even before you got here. He planned it all for you. That was a great moment when you came in. But I tell you now, this is the greatest moment of your life. Because this is the moment where somebody, Jesus in fact, comes into the room of your heart and switches on all of the lights. The lights may have been out. Everything may have been dark, but suddenly he comes in, he flicks the switch, and there's illumination, there's color, there's brightness, there's forgiveness, and he decorates a dungeon of a heart. That's what he did for me. Now, if you're here this morning, 
You've never prayed. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray with you. There may have been a power cut all your life. But the greatest electrician is in the building. His name is Jesus. And he's going to give you some power to live life. He's going to give you power to flick the switch. And the whole house is going to become illuminated. Let's close our eyes for a moment. In respect to those who are going to pray. In respect to those who are going to ask Jesus to turn the lights on in their house. To take out the sin. To take out all of the stuff that's hindered. He's going to give you your house a good old clean. And it's the best experience you can ever have. If you want to pray with me this morning. To ask Jesus to turn the lights on in your heart. I want you to quickly lift your hand up. I'll see it. You can put it down. I see your hand at the back there. Well done, sir. I see your hand, sir. That's it. That's it. I see hands there. We're going to pray right now. Jesus is going to flick the switch for you. Jesus is going to turn everything around. Quietly in your heart, would you pray this with me? And as a congregation, let's pray it. Just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Sometimes I don't love myself. But your measure of love exceeds, far exceeds my measure. I believe you died on a cross for me. Thank you. I believe you did that to forgive my sin. To wash it away. I believe that you're alive. And from this day. Live in my heart. Give me the peace I long for. The peace I need. In Jesus name. Amen. Now as his people. We're going to sing in just a few moments. But if you feel that you've been held at, the, at spear point, it's like fear. You've been held at gunpoint. You can't move forward. Your past has held you at gunpoint. Guilt has held you at gunpoint. A decision that you shouldn't have made held you at gunpoint. Like a spear at your throat. You can't move. I'm going to pray for you right now. Jesus is going to set you free. Because there is no problem that the anointing cannot deal with. Look, the anointing can deal with anything and everything. Every predicament, circumstance of our world. There was never a problem that stood up in front of Jesus. That Jesus could not be Lord of. And if there's something in your life this morning you need liberation from. It's time to get liberated today. I want you to come forward. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. Come forward. You're held by spear point. If it's one, if it's two, matters not. Sometimes in huge crowds, in multitudes of people, Jesus would just pull one out. I don't care about numbers, friends. I tell you now, I'm not living in the book of numbers. I'm living in the book of Acts. Acts. 